Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, I want to start this week off by asking you a question. Are you ready to be put on the spot within the first 10 seconds of the podcast? I'm so ready. You do this to me like every other week anyway, so I'm, I'm expecting it at this point. Well, I'm glad that a year and a half of podcasting and like five years of friendship has prepared you for my uh, specific quirks. Um, <laughs> my question is, when you watch baseball games at home, do you have the sound on? <laughs> this is what I was expecting. Um, you just got finished saying that you were ready for anything and you lied. Yeah, I did. I totally lied. I wasn't I wasn't prepared. Um, it depends. Uh, I think I, I, I like to have the sound on at least on low because it's kind of like a nice, it's almost like white noise, you know? Um, and if you hear the crowd roar, you can, if you're in the other room, you can dip back in and, and keep an eye on it. Uh, so it's usually, it's usually on low if it's a game that like, I'm not paying particularly close attention to. Yeah. What about you? I only keep the sound on when it's a broadcast booth that I like. Or or if it's a broadcast booth that I don't know, I'll keep it on and see if I like what they're doing so far. Or if it's like a moment that I want to hear what the announcer has to say. Like yeah. I'll I'll keep it on during like a very important game or a very important time of the game. The reason that I ask this is because I often get in arguments about like how baseball is a good like second screen experience and how everyone tells me that that's not a good thing to to brag about for your sport that you love so much. <laughs> but I'm just I'm just curious, you know, I'm doing a little informal polling, you know, election season coming up, doing a little informal polling and you're your subject number one. Well, I appreciate that. I think that I, I agree with you in that it's a it's a good second screen sport, but like something that you can tune into at any point you know like it doesn't necessarily take a lot of commitment or buy-in to uh to kind of lean into any one moment or something like that whereas like i was uh, i was watching wimbledon earlier today and because i walked out and i kind of wanted to see what was going on and there i found myself on the couch for an hour and a half just unable to pull myself away from the tv screen because i was like where the <laughs> fuck else am i gonna go <laughs> this game is insane um so I I think I, what sorry, I sorry this match is insane. It's a tennis match. Oh, it's a tennis noob. match. I am a noob. Um, <laughs> so I suppose that's a nice thing about baseball, especially for a more casual fan, is you can watch an exciting inning and then get up and go make dinner or whatever, and not fear that you're going to be missing out on too much. How much would you pay for MLB the equivalent of MLB Red Zone? You know how NFL has like when a team is about to score. Mm -hmm. The uh, like split screen it. How much yeah. would you pay for that? But you could just like pick one player per team, and every time that player came up, it would pop up on your screen. That exists actually. Uh, it's called Game Changer. It's a website, and uh, and you uh, I think I think you like have it open while you have MLB TV open, and you can like choose fifty different ranked options and just pick scenarios in which you want the game to switch over. So it's like Mike Trout is up to bat. 
um, there is a high leverage moment in this Phillies game or something like that. Uh, so highly recommend uh, using that if you uh, if you don't already. Although I never watch baseball on my computer, so it's rendered a bit of a moot point. But you know, I only you watch baseball there. on my computer. Mm. Yeah. Wait. See. So it's it's not licensed by MLB. It's just like an app on a website that like does that through MLB TV or is it like part of the MLB TV package? No, it's like an independent website that, um, that like reads kind of where games are and then will automatically like switch your MLB TV over to whatever the the situation is that you want to be watching. Wow. Okay. So the answer to answer your question, it's nothing. I wouldn't pay anything for that. (laughs) How much would you pay when MLB figures this out and puts an end to the Game Changer website? <laughs> <laughs> Which is absolutely going to happen. We're uh, this was SpawnCon for Game Changer. Okay, we're in. We just recorded less than a week ago after the All Star Game. So, and there's only been a few games or a few days of games since then. So, we're a little bit short on topic. So, this episode is going to be a little bit of a predict the second half type of thing, um, and we're going to get into that in one minute. But before we do that, I am Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. This is Tipping Pitches. Alex, I enlisted you to play a little bit, a little game called Predict the Headlines with me. Uh, We did a little bit of this before the season started with uh, our friend and Tipping Pitches fave, Austin Zimmerman. Uh, But it was more of like bold predictions, bold takes, I guess you could call them. Uh, this is just going to be kind of like a, we're going to look back on October 1st and these are the headlines we're going to see as like major things that have happened over the second half of the MLB season. I'm going to let you kick us off since I know that you haven't even thought of all three yet. So I'm going to need to give you some extra time while I talk uh, to think of that third one. What's your first one? <laughs> all right. So I think with each of my predictions, um, I'm going to widen the the scope of them a little bit. But but I'll start off on a a somewhat granular level um, talking about a specific player who's going to do very well. And that's Christian Yelich, a player who has already done very well. So this isn't really that much of a stretch um, to say that he's having a good year, but he's going to be the first player to uh, to ever go 50-30. He's going to make history by the time that October rolls around, um, 50 home runs, 30 stolen bases. And it's kind of stunning to me that no one has ever done that before I, know. I mean it's not but like it kind of is like that seems like the kind of thing that um a guy like barry bonds or or griffey or even a guy like a rod who was the closest to ever come to Those it are the exact three names that i was going to suggest who would yeah. have done it before <laughs> yeah literally a <laughs> rod went uh went 54 24 uh, back in 2007. And that's really the closest that anyone's ever come to that sort of thing. So Christian Yelich making history with the Brew Crew. One of the wildest things about when I hear stats like that is I just assume that every combination of every single thing ever has been done. Like yeah. I know what the single season records are, obviously for like home runs and stuff. But to think that there's been this many years of baseball and no one's ever done anything like that, it's crazy. I guess it's probably just because of that 50 number. Like, People were not hitting 50 home runs in a season for a very, 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 very large percentage of the baseball history, you know, because the ball was dead and they weren't trying to hit as many home runs. They were just trying to, they were just trying to get the bat on the ball, you know, big fundies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Bobby. I mean, Christian Yelich is going to hit 50 home runs, but how many RBIs is he going to have? Huh? I mean, how much is he really helping his team? I mean, it seems like it's just runners in scoring position. (laughs) 
I, I assure you that those are really the headlines that we're gonna we're gonna be end up we're gonna end up getting by the end of the year. Unfortunately. Okay. Uh all right. I'll go with my first headline, and that headline is Mike Trout wins AL MVP, semicolon, nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Obviously, people will care. Obviously, I've yelled so long on this podcast about how Mike Trout is really fun. Watching him play baseball is a delight. And everybody who says that Mike Trout is boring doesn't actually like baseball. All of that being said, that caveat, uh, I think that there's going to be a little bit of apathy towards if Mike Trout wins MVP this year. Because the idea of Mike Trout winning MVP on a team that doesn't make the playoffs or on a team that's less than 500 or whatever... and 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 that's not even to say like the Angels are going to be terrible or even as bad as when he won his last MVP. You know, the Angels are one game over 500 today as we're recording this. Um, but it's very likely that they will not make the playoffs based on the rest of the AL West, which is weirdly stacked. Shout out to Lance Lynn and shout out to your athletics just trading for the the one and only Homer Bailey, who's going to, they're going to ride to the promised land. Um, this is more to say people already got all worked up about this the first time around about Mike Trout beating out guys who were on winning teams, guys like J.D. Martinez, like these guys who are clutch guys who are helping their team in uh, more, quote-unquote, more meaningful at-bats, whatever that means. And I just think that if Trout wins, everybody is resigned to just be like, yes, Trout is the best. Even if you feel like he shouldn't have won, you aren't even going to get mad about it anymore because you've already written that column before. And maybe I'm naive for thinking that because guys like Phil Mushnick will probably get that column in. But I kind of think the whole war determines MVP debate is kind of like a dead, tired topic. So I think it's going to be Trout wins MVP because he very, very, very well will deserve it because he's clearly the best player in baseball. And just no one's going to have, no one's going to be angry. That's my take. <laughs> Honestly, this is the the future that we deserve to live in. I think you're probably right about that. Like it's going to take like it's basically taken 6 or 7 years for people to just kind of be like, "Yeah, Mike Trout is the best player in baseball." And as he <laughs> we should can be. determine value. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also like the thing about this is it's it's not even going to be particularly close. I mean, Trout has a has a two and a half war lead over Alex Bregman, which is <laughs> insane. Are you kidding me? So yeah, we're gonna if you look around the the landscape, I mean you've got Bregman, you've got Bogarts, you've got my boy Matt Chapman, who are all sitting around four wins above replacement. And obviously it's not the only way that you can evaluate a player, but when this one statistic just says he's that much better than everyone else, I feel like you just kinda gotta give it to him what else are you gonna do it's not the only like it's not the only statistic that you need to evaluate it he's beating Bregman who's number two in every other category as well yeah <laughs> like every single one he is better than him in every category yep yeah Mike Trout just give him the MVP now yes okay what's number two for you all right the Arizona Diamondbacks a team whose name it's quite possible we have never ever mentioned on this podcast because why would we talk about the Arizona Diamondbacks? No disrespect to Diamondbacks fans. However, we're definitely not a podcast that covers the entire league. We're, we're, we have to be honest about that with ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to, they're, they're going to, to slip into a wild card spot. They're, they're currently second in the NL West right now. They're sitting at 
a game over 500 and they're obviously not going to win the division because the Dodgers are going to continue their tradition of running away with the division and then losing somehow in the playoffs. But the Diamondbacks are uh, are going to shock the world a little bit in the second half. And frankly, it's going to lead to some pretty bad narratives because they like kind of tore it down this year and they like they sold off Paul Goldschmidt and they're running out a bunch of guys on rookie contracts and it's just going to give uh more helium to this narrative that uh that this is how teams can and should operate that you should cash in on trading away your uh, your big expensive stars for young unproven commodities but they're still going to do the thing they're going to eke into the playoffs and uh and it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch man cuz they're uh, they're fun what does that mean for your prediction that the Cincinnati Reds were going to make the playoffs? That kind of buries it, right? It does kind of bury it, yes. Although, maybe just, honestly, maybe the Reds will just fucking win the division. Like, they're going to oh. do the, they're gonna, they're gonna do the thing, too. The Cubs aren't good. The Cubs aren't very good. They're like, what, four That's games what, over 500? Listen, I am with you on that. I think the Cubs are drastically overrated by how stacked they were in 2016. Like, if you watch MLB Network, everyone's like, I like the Cubs. I love the Cubs. Or if you watch, like, a national broadcast, they're like, I kind of think the Cubs are coming out of the NL this year. Fuck the Dodgers. And I'm just like, are you guys watching the same game that I'm watching? Because the Cubs are not as good as the Dodgers. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, and I'm getting such fatigue of watching these teams. I mean, I'm not saying I don't like watching the Cubs or I don't like watching the Dodgers or whatever, but every time you turn on like Sunday night baseball or something like that, you're watching these same combinations of teams. And I'm like, give me like the Diamondbacks playing the Reds. That would be way more fun than watching the Cubs play the Cardinals for the umpteenth time. You mean you don't like watching John Lester try to paint the outside against righties with that 89 mile an hour cutter? You're tired of that? It's not 2009 anymore. <laughs> Did you know that he can't pick off? I never knew that. But uh, but apparently Wait, that's a... To first? Yeah, to, to first base. Because that's a thing that most pitchers usually can do. But apparently this is like some weird thing with him. Oh, oh. So they're going to try to run on him then? Yeah, they're probably going to try to... It's going to change the whole running game. Oh, okay. All right, well, I'll look out for that then. You know what's crazy? I'm looking at the wild card standings right now. Um, there are only three teams that are not currently in playoff position who have positive run differentials. And that's number one, the Cardinals, who are a game back. Number two, your Arizona Diamondbacks, who are a game and a half back. They're sitting at 500, but they have a plus 50 run differential, but they're yeah. 500. And then the Cincinnati Reds, who are four full games back, five games under 500, but have a plus 34 run differential. That yeah. is like kind of unfathomable to me. Yeah. And honestly, it makes you look pretty goddamn smart because you predicted <laughs> yeah. the Reds and now you're predicting the Diamondbacks and yet they have bad records, but their base run differential would lead you to believe that they should be either winning their divisions, well, not in the Diamondbacks case because the Dodgers um, are the evil empire, but that they should either be winning their divisions or it comfortably in a wild card position. Because Milwaukee and Philly are tied for the second wild card position in the National League right now. Milwaukee has a negative 19 run differential and Philly has a negative 2 run differential. So, yeah, watching bad baseball te- is stupid. Well, baseball is stupid, but watching bad teams very very good. I love it. <laughs> it's so much fun. There's zero stakes. Oh my gosh, it's incredible. How are our um how are our adopted teams doing so far? Uh, I mean, my team, my team was the twins, so I'm doing great. This is bullshit. 
San Francisco, <laughs> negative 68 run differential, yet still somehow a full game ahead of the Mets. God, my baseball life is tough. Okay, yeah, is it, it is. my turn? Number yeah, two, yeah, second, with your second headline. headline. Let's get back to the <laughs> segment. <laughs> oh, yeah, the segment. Uh, okay, my second headline is Garrett Cole breaks single season K per nine record. Okay, I'll bite. Why? Here is the single season K per nine leaderboard. The top five, not including this season by Garrett Cole. It's Randy Johnson. He holds the record. He said it when he was 37 in 2001. 13.4 strikeouts per nine innings pitched. Then there's Pedro at 13.2. Chris Sale um, in his 28-year-old season, 12.9. Chris Sale again, 12.9 again in his 30-year-old season. And then Max Scherzer, 12.6 in his 34-year-old season. Those last two that I just read... Uh, Sale and Scherzer in their 30 and 34 year old seasons respectively those are both this year and then there's Garrett Cole 2019 age 28 he is in the lead with 13.43 strikeouts per nine very slightly ahead of Randy Johnson's 2001 season Um, last year I believe Chris Sale would have broken this record but he didn't throw enough innings because of his dead arm issues his shoulder issues at the end of the season so clearly there's a trend here We've talked this trend into the ground. I more just want to come at this from a Garrett Cole perspective in that his rise when he was on the Pirates was so exciting to me because you're watching a guy that just has like the most natural tools, the the combination of stuff and tools and delivery. And it was just such a delight to watch that 2015 season where he was dominant, where Jake Arrieta was dominant and they pitched against each other in the wild card game. That just feels like so long ago to me. And to see the fact that the Astros have now taken Cole's raw ability, his talent, and refined it to the point where he's about to break a an a 18-year-old Randy Johnson record, it's really exciting to me because I I love watching him pitch so much. I love the style that he pitches. Um, I love that he just paints 99-mile-an-hour fastballs on the outside and it just dares people to try to hit them. So that's my second predicted headline. What do you think? Honestly, yeah, I'm here for it. I see it happening. Um, it's really quite unfair what the Astros are able to do to all of their pitchers. It really shouldn't be allowed. Uh, it feels like every time they call someone new up, uh, it's just like, oh yeah, and this guy strikes out 12 batters per nine um, and doesn't give up home runs. And if he can learn to stop walking people so much, he's going to win Cy Young. Um, so honestly, Stop trading your pitchers to the Astros, everyone. Stop doing this. Stop letting them get away with this. This is just highway robbery. They're clear, it is kind of. Like, literally. Um, I mean, Charlie Morton is the uh, other, I guess, best example in recent memory of a guy who they just like turned from uh, a middling starter into a literal ace. Charlie Morton, who is going to challenge for the Cy Young this year. Uh, so to live in a world where Justin Verlander is what your number two starter, <laughs> come on, that's, that's mean. I think he's still their number one starter. He started the fucking all star game. Yeah, I know, but I know, I know, I get what you're saying. Uh, I think it's worth repeating the actual number. 13.43 strikeouts per nine innings pitched for a starter. Yep. That's like cream of the crop elite reliever stuff. And he's doing it over like six and seven inning outings. 
that's like 10 strikeouts per game, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> like if he's only going like seven innings or whatever, he's basically going seven and striking out 10 every single time. Fuck me. I should have drafted him in fantasy. <laughs> um, he's at 183 strikeouts on the year. It's the middle of July and he has 183 strikeouts, which would have placed him 24th overall last year. Like in all of baseball, in all of last season, he's already uh, one of the most among the most strikeouts. So, uh, so is three hundred in in his sights? Is he going to strike out three hundred guys this year? Uh, absolutely. Remember when Max Scherzer did that last year, and we were like, "This might be the last time we ever see this." Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he's also giving up a career high home run to fly ball rate of twenty percent. So twenty percent of people who get the ball in the air against him are hitting home runs. Yeah, true. Did you know it's the ball's just, juiced? It's a weird year, man. He, and Co- Garrett Cole's like, you know what? Whatever. The ball's juiced. I'll just strike literally everyone out. Yeah, that's one way around it. It certainly is. Okay. Uh, I think we're up to your third and final predicted headline, right? We are. And actually, that somewhat segues kind of nicely into my um, last uh, headline, so to speak. And I don't know that I necessarily have a concrete headline for this, but... Uh, so maybe I'm not as prepared as I should have been. But I think that home runs are going to dip just a little bit, just a little bit in the second half, enough to throw the the hot take machine into a frenzy about how maybe the balls uh, aren't as juiced as we thought, or or maybe maybe we were just overreacting to the spike in the first half of the season um it, that the players association is just not going to know how to um how to handle this sort of thing it's going to make rob manfred look great and uh and yeah it's really just going to throw us a curveball on how we uh, on how we approach this going forward we're going to be like are the balls juiced are they not juiced they obviously are but I think maybe the the pace will drop off a little bit and it's going to throw everything that we think we knew into question. Yeah, the content machine that is tipping pitches will love the idea of another ball storyline in the second half of the season. Although, yeah, like you said last week, I am getting tired of just having the same conversation about the ball being juiced. And I wish Rob Manfred would just be like, you rubes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. Or just unjuice the ball. You know, just like really fuck with our heads. It's just, Can you imagine just, if the ball just went back to like 2012 and all of a sudden like nobody was hitting home runs anymore? Yeah, that'd be a that'd be a tough look. Certainly, Christian Yelich wouldn't hit 50 home runs. Yeah, there goes your headline. Yeah, your headlines are competing. I okay, know. um, I like that. Interesting. Do you think that there will be some intentionality behind that for Rob Manfred, or do you think it'll just be like a coincidence? I think it'll just be a coincidence. I have I I should say that I have nothing to back this up. This is just pure speculation. I'm throwing darts blindfolded, but I think that it, it's an it's enough that it'll it'll just we will have no idea how to handle it. I'm glad that you said that this is pure speculation because I think the listeners might have thought that you were out there doing investigative reporting on MLB. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's your last headline? Uh okay, ready for this? This is a take this is a takey one. Okay, a takey one. Does baseball have the most parody of any sport? Okay. Forget what you think you know about the rich teams undermining the poor teams, Alex. This year we're gonna have a conversation about how baseball is really the most fair sport. 
not basketball, not this where, where anybody can change teams, go wherever they want, team up with their best best friends, best players in the league. Nope. This year is about baseball having the most parity among any sport. And you know why? It's because of the conversation that we had earlier about the teams that may or may not make the playoffs. The NL Central is tighter than ever. The NL East, I'm hoping, is going to become even tighter over the next couple months. Um, and then you have a lot of teams clustered in that wild card spot. So there we go. Does baseball have the most parity of any sport? Also, I guess I'm forgetting to mention the AL East as well, where there's three teams clustered at the top who have like a, an actual legitimate chance, although I think the Yankees will probably pretty easily win that division. Uh, parity in sports, baby. Forget this tanking bullshit. I Bury that narrative. I agree with that take now. I agree with it already, like unironically. Like, d- yeah. doesn't it? Right? Like, I feel like more than any other sport, baseball is the one where you can't, you don't really know who's going to be in the World Series at the end of the year. Now, yeah. I mean, like, coming into the year, you can be like, the Astros are going to be good. The Dodgers are going to be good. But, like, the playoffs are just a clusterfuck. No, no one, no one knew that the Twins were going to be one of the best teams in baseball. Apologies yeah. to the people who did know that, but like, <laughs> like five of them. <laughs> it's literally October is such a crapshoot. Way more than just being like, "Wow, I wonder how many games the Warriors are going to beat the Rockets by this year." Yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, they didn't win, but like they were there. They had a shot. It was they were pretty darn close. Uh, I think it's pretty widely accepted that football has the most parity, like that any given Sunday mentality. And also because they only play one game, they don't play series. So that creates more parity, almost like artificially or by default, I should say. It's not it's not artificial. It's just the nature of their game versus our game. But I, I think the narrative coming into this season and even more so going into last season was that there are like 10 teams that are just not trying to be competitive at all. And we did a large part in not creating that narrative, but feeding into that narrative, talking about the teams who wouldn't sign guys and who were on the fringes or who were just like not trying to be good at all. I I understand your point about like baseball in fall is always a crapshoot. Playoff baseball is a crapshoot. I I don't necessarily like think that anyone has ever disagreed with that. Although, you know, maybe Harold Reynolds or whatever, these types. I just think like, these divisions are a lot closer than they have been in the last few years. You know, it felt like going into the last four or five years, it was like Cubs, easy, rap. Uh, I guess not four or five. Man, these timelines, it's really messing with me. These years are a lot longer when we do a podcast every week. Uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It felt like we knew who the division winners were going to be. We knew the one to four teams who were going to be decently competitive for the wild card. And I don't know, maybe this year we're going to get a take cycle where it's like actually baseball's back to having a ton of parity. And honestly, we could have a really, really long conversation about why that is. And I think that it's a lot more nefarious than just everybody's trying to do their best. I think it's like nobody's trying to do their best, but right. that's an entirely different conversation for a different day. I just think like by the end of the year, people are going to be like, oh, it's actually fun when 15 teams have a chance to make the playoffs. And then, and then like you said, "Quote unquote," anything can happen. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, just, it's like this idea of like tanking your way to to mediocrity, right? Like, if everyone yeah. around you is also tanking, like you can only get so bad. Someone has to win the games at the end of the day, uh, yep. and it feels like 
teams like the Cardinals or the or the White Sox who are like somehow in third place. I mean, it's really just only because the teams behind them are so much worse. But yeah, like the Rangers are a really good example of this too. Yeah. Um so yeah, there like you said, there's definitely a more nefarious aspect to it, and it will probably um give some credence wrongfully to this idea that you don't necessarily have to try to put your best product on the field because it's easy to stumble into a playoff spot. Not easy, but you can find yourself in the middle of, the, of July being like, we were going to rebuild, and now here we are potentially being buyers. Like like the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks yeah. are an example of that. So, yes, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Despite baseball being the longest season, I think the short, the the small sample size of a single season of baseball and the randomness that can come with it, it's given people who run teams a lot of slack and a lot of leeway about the idea that maybe sometimes they didn't put the most competitive team on the field and sort of snuck into the playoffs anyway. Like, uh, like one Oakland athletics team who literally for the last decade and a half have basically been like, we're going to try to play close to 500 ball every year. And some years we're going to luck into the playoffs. We're going to have a 2012 or, or 2014 run. And there's, you know, some players are going to hit and it's going to be magic and whatever. And we're going to try to catch lightning in a bottle every single year. And sometimes it'll work and it'll be enough to give the, yourself that sort of a track record. And then sometimes you'll have years like 2015 when you just finish in last place. And it's like, oh, well, like these things happen, you know, like you go through these cycles. Uh, so it's possible that more teams follow that model because it's like you can, you can, you really can get away with it. I mean, Billy Bean still has a job and he's, fine and i'm not going to slander billy bean on this podcast necessarily but like there's a there's a better more proven way of winning games every year right there's a reason the a's and the rays are knowing are known for like being breakthrough teams who can make it to the playoffs but like look at the world series winners over the last few years it's not those scrappy underdog teams yeah, so for, for so long we've been fed the narrative that the market inefficiency is just trying to be average and then like push yourself towards good rather than trying to be the best team that you can possibly be going into the season and then get better. I, that idea has been extremely frustrating for, for me. And it's like been able to paper over a lot of this, like a lot of this criticism that teams just aren't trying to be good. Like that strive towards mediocrity, I feel like is, is probably bad for the sport. Although I think people think of parody which is maybe a different concept from what we're talking about here. And maybe I miss, maybe it's a misnomer for me to put that in my fake headline. This idea that parody is probably really good for the sport because it means that more team, it's more competitive, but it's not, it's not really more competitive, right? It's more competitive for places five through eight. It's not more competitive for places one through four of who are the best teams because we still have the teams with the best payrolls or the teams with the highest payrolls finishing the most dominantly but at the same time it shows how close so many teams are right it's like you're within striking distance of the division why are or or of a wild card spot or whatever like you're playing five or six games over 500 
why are you not going out and signing Dallas Keuchel and you're sign and you're trading for Homer Bailey instead? Like what, like where's the logic in that? When, when everything feels like it's up for grabs, like why are you not just like pushing all your chips into the middle of the table? I don't know. That is the, that's the million dollar question. That's the most confounding part of team building. And I think probably the answer is that they don't have a mandate from their owners to necessarily win. I think they have a mandate from their owners to make the most, to moneyball it, right? To make the most out of the least. Yep. It's a business. All right. uh, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get right into three up, three down. We're going to speed through this three up, three down this week because it feels like just basically hours ago where we did this last week and you and I were really struggling to figure out what to take off and put on this week. So I'm going to kick us off three off my list this week from two weeks ago. Marcus Stroman versus Dennis Eckersley. Can't believe that this made it this long without being taken off. This <laughs> list. Uh, number two, also from two weeks ago, bamboo plant versus curveball machine. You remember yeah. my long soliloquy explaining that to you? That was honestly beautiful. That really was. Um, shout out to Philly's Reddit, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then third from last week, baseball bromances. That was a short-lived one, but it was, it was short and sweet. All right, what's coming off your list? Coming off my list, the Braves commercial uh, appealing to non-men watching baseball. I still agree with the sentiment, but uh, but you know it it's going to take a lot more than uh, than just one commercial to actually change the tide in any meaningful way. And haven't seen much progress since then, so you're done. Uh, the uh, the the Grand Junction Rockies, or shall I say the the Grand Grand Junction Chubs? Um, that I was, can't uh, believe that I can't believe that segment. I was, uh, I, you know, just in a weird headspace and I needed something uh, to laugh about. And so there it was. Spent a week on my list and uh, and gone as soon as it came. Uh, last one off my list, uh, Jeff McNeil's hot dog contest uh, refereeing abilities. I How just, dare you? I, I know, I really do believe in him, but he's back to hitting home runs. So we have real baseball things that we can think about when it comes to Jeff McNeil. And frankly, I think we're all a little bit better for that. Jeff McNeil is all I think about. Uh, okay. Speaking of the Mets, you had to know that I was not going to go through this entire podcast without talking about the Mets just a little bit. Yes. So first onto my list this week, uh, a, a weird just cocktail, concoction, potion, whatever you want to call it, of like storylines of Robinson Cano and PEDs and hand injuries and aging and what is the perp- what is the cause of all of this? Uh, so... As many of you will know, Robinson Cano is having a terrible year. He was one of the centerpieces of an offseason trade in which the Mets said that they were, quote-unquote, all in this year. Uh, and he has been honestly terrible. And there was a while where like the storylines were about his hustling and his leadership and whether he's cut out to be back in New York and all of these different things. And he's a Yankee. All, he's a Yankee has been. And all of that was like silly, but like, that was, I think that was distracting from the actual point in that he's been really bad this year and people were expecting him not to be this bad this year. Um, you know, most of the smart people, most of the smart baseball people I know were like, yeah, his defense is not great anymore, but he can still hit. 
Um, and he has been still hitting over the last few years. Well, now that he wasn't hitting in Queens, a lot of people were like, of course he's not hitting. Uh, he's not taking PEDs anymore after his suspension for that, I think last year or two years ago. Um, and then he gave a quote a couple of days ago where it was like, I've been hit in the hand a couple times this year and I would never say that I'm injured, but just know that I've been hit in the hand and that's been affecting me. And it was this weird thing where it was like, you're not saying that your hand is injured, but you're also giving it as a reason for why your power is down. So you're ne- you see, you're saying you'd never complain, but you're also complaining and giving an excuse. And then all of this just being wrapped into the fact that he is also getting older and still making $24 million per year. And he is still in the crosshairs of Mets Twitter and Mets hot take radio and column writing. Uh, it's just been... Robinson Cano has been on my mind uh, over this last Marlin series since the Mets came back from the All-Star break. And with all of that, with him being at the center of all of this drummed up controversy or whatever, he hit two home runs in this series and the Mets won their first road series since April. So there you go. That's what I'm thinking about. I just want Robinson Cano to be happy. I don't care. I don't care what happens. I, I don't care about the hot takes. I don't care about any, uh, any sort of discord with him in the clubhouse or the media or his relationship with Mickey Calloway. I just want him to, to go home at night and just be happy. That's, I, I just love him too much to care about anything else. He, uh, doesn't seem happy these days. Nope. So maybe things will turn around. Yes. Yeah. All right. What's on yours? All right. First on my list is a uh, magical baseball moment that happened just a couple days ago. Um, the the whole world is the whole baseball world is still kind of reckoning with and reeling from the passing of Tyler Skaggs, the Angels pitcher, who we talked about a little bit last week. Um, and so the Angels, in their first game back after Skaggs is passing. Uh, they were playing the Seattle Mariners this past Friday evening. Every player on the Angels was wearing Tyler Skaggs' jersey, which off the bat, just an absolutely cool thing to do. And thank you to the MLB for allowing that sort of thing. Um, and then the Angels went out and pitched a combined no-hitter. And it was just the kind of thing to give you goosebumps. And if that wasn't enough to give you goosebumps, uh, the team following the game went out and they all took off their jerseys and laid it on the mound uh, to create a sort of um, spontaneous um, vigil slash um, peace and memoriam for Skaggs. And really, it's just the kind of thing, like we talked about last week, that um, just reminds you of, uh, of baseball's ability to heal and its magical sensibilities. Um, I don't have more eloquent words to talk about it, but it was a really, really special moment in the baseball world. Yeah, I think you said it really well. I mean, it was just an unbelievable moment. And them them leaving their jerseys around the mound at the end of the game and just that shot of all of them, just kind of that catharsis of taking off that jersey and leaving it on the mound and uh, his mom throwing out the first pitch and it was a, a strike right on the middle, like... All of that, you can't script it. You can't write it. Um, and th- these human moments in baseball, I think, are what make... I mean, all sports, like, all sports have these type of moments. Um, there's something that feels so, like, slow and 
drawn out about the way that these moments kind of happened in baseball to me. And I think just like, if that doesn't make you believe in the power of this sport that we watch all of the time, then I don't really know what to tell you, you know? Yep. Absolutely. It's a, uh, it's a magical thing for sure. Okay. Uh, with no real good way to transition out of that. Um, I'll, I'll take us to number two. Um, something that I see a lot on Twitter and that I've been thinking about a lot is the idea that now that everyone has the ability to like see baseball online, to tweet about baseball, to get these gifts, to get a uh, video and put it on their own personal Twitter accounts, the rise of like at home swing doctors or at home pitching doctors. And this is a thing that may, maybe happens a little bit more in basketball. So perhaps I'm conflating the two, but just like, People with general Twitter accounts who think that they know the reason that baseball players are struggling. I was watching a clip of Ronald Acuna in his first game back after the home run derby and kind of like uh, he hit a monster home run. And I think the tweet was like, you know, first game back or or they say that the home run derby messes up your swing, LOL. Um, And then someone underneath it was commenting like, I don't know. It still looks like he has a bad hitch in his swing. And everyone was ratioing that comment about the hitch underneath it. And I don't know if this is even a new phenomenon or just that the uh, universality of Twitter and people tweeting about baseball online has sort of unveiled it. But the idea that everybody thinks that they know how to improve one of the most promising young baseball players of all time swing, (laughs) who has a perfect swing, by the way. (laughs) Uh, And so... I don't know. I've been thinking about the idea that like everybody thinks that they're their own little version of like pitching ninja on Twitter too um, because they played like four years of high school baseball. Uh, And I find it, I find it to be very funny and entertaining when someone is underneath trying to tell Ronald Acuna that he knows his swing better than him. Yeah. I mean, it's this weird kind of double edged sword of the kind of sports world that we live in where we have all this data at our fingertips and and videos of every game at our fingertips and everyone has a platform whether that's like some sort of um blogging service or twitter or whatever it is to basically get out there and analyze a player and talk about what you think about like what this team should do or how, or three ways that franklin barreto could make his swing better or something like that and on the one hand it's really cool because you're exposed to all these ideas that you maybe never would have seen before. But like you're saying, on the other hand, it affords everyone to just, uh, it affords everyone the opportunity to just pretend like they're the Braves hitting coach and, uh, and try and analyze something that maybe doesn't really need analyzing. Like a lot of these times, in fact, almost Every single time one of these things comes up, it's like, I think the player knows his swing better than a uh, better than you do, Jim from Michigan. No disrespect yeah. to Jim from Michigan. I just think that there's some extremely open your mind bullshit going on with a lot of this stuff. Yeah. It's like if Trevor Bauer could reinvent himself and become and and invent an, uh, his own pitch for himself, why can't we just break down the barriers of our lame thought about what it means to be a good baseball player? And it's like, guys. I think that MLB coaches and uh, the players themselves are 
more advanced in exploring new avenues for how to get better than us. Yeah, it's like, than, than we are in 2019. It's like, like some god level grifting. Like just yeah. being like, maybe if I analyze this one player and get it right, like a team's gonna hire me. Like someone's gonna <laughs> find me. And I'm not trying to dunk on anyone who's like out here analyzing baseball, trying to trying to make a living out of it. Because same, but uh, but you know, just have a little humility once in a while. Yeah. Okay. What's number two for you? Number two for me is Matt Chapman's DJing ability is, and more specifically his, uh, his music taste, just because I, I was reading this article from cut four about teams with like the clubhouse DJ and, and what that means to be the clubhouse DJ. There's a lot of power that's vested in you for that. And so there's this quote from Matt Chapman, uh, about, how, you know, he says music evokes emotion for a lot of people and it can get people motivated or, or gets you through some of those tough times. And I know that on days when I'm really tired, there are a couple go-to songs that make me feel some type of way that make me feel good. And turns out that's like the war on drugs and modest mouse <laughs> and like, or like he'll, he'll DJ a day game BP to like tame Impala. And oh, I'm yeah. like, Matt Chapman, are you like, are you a, a sad boy, like an indie? But you think Matt Chapman reads Pitchfork? Like, <laughs> I just, I, I love it when these players. Suppo- I, I, I was just assume that Matt Chapman listen listens to to Kanye West or uh, or to Drake yeah. to get him through it. Like he seems like the yeah. most vanilla type of guy. He's like, I love hip hop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, um, Jay Cole's got me some through some really tough times, man. I feel like he's oh just really speaking to me. Uh, Matt Chapman, come to karaoke with me and Alex and sing the entirety of From Under the Cork Tree from start to finish. <laughs> I am certain that he knows it. <laughs> Who's Matt like, Chapman would have been a great third roommate for us in college. Absolutely. Who do you think's like a like a real ass sad boy? Like in terms of the music taste, I feel like. No, Sean Doolittle's a big metalhead, actually. So that doesn't. Oh, really? Doesn't, yeah, he is. Um, so that doesn't really count. I would have pegged him more for like a punk guy. Yeah, same. I mean, like close, closely related. Yeah, true. yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, who's a real sad boy? Yeah, besides us, obviously. There's probably got to be a lot of them, but they're probably the more nameless types. I, the problem is. 75% of guys just listen to like Florida Georgia line or shit like that. I know. You know, like it's like country. Uh, and then there's like, I think like 75% of guys probably just listen to like country and or gospel rock. And like within that subsect, there's some people who listen to like legit, like old country, like stuff that I wouldn't even know because of where they grew up. Yeah. And then uh, of course a lot, probably a lot of people listen to hip hop uh, and rap. And then I don't know, like finding that sweet spot of who is like the real sad boy that's like that like was born and bred on My Chemical Romance, like that might be tough. I don't know. What about like Robert Gesellman? You know, like he seems oh, like he's yeah. always sad. I feel like he's he could get down to some MCR or some Taking Back Sunday. <laughs> Wouldn't you not be surprised if he was into like Dead Mouse though? Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> Who knows with these guys? Maybe we need to do some investigative reporting on who is the saddest boy in Major League Baseball. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. I think you start with our all gentrification team. I'm, I uh, feels like those uh, the Venn diagram of those two categories is a circle. Who's like, I didn't understand my music taste until I heard my first Smith song. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it out. 
maybe that'll be a future three up, three down. Yeah, absolutely. All right, what's your last one? Okay, this is one that I just thought of over the course of... I, I changed my final one. Um, this is one that I thought of over the course of this podcast because you started talking about Wimbledon. I have a hypothetical for you. Okay. Would tennis players playing baseball be better than baseball players playing tennis? Wow. Hmm. Now I'll let you assume that the base that the tennis players don't have to pitch or catch. So they just have to pick a position in the field to play. And then right. they have to obviously hit. Now that's the difference is that the baseball players have to be involved in every single play in tennis, which is the the rub. So yeah. I who would look worse, I guess. Nobody would look good, but who would look worse? Um I think it's hands down baseball players trying to play tennis because like tennis players are super like they've got this agility and this like kind of quick twitch that's needed in baseball you know if you're like breaking for a a ground ball or something like that and just kind of being able to react at a split second but baseball players do that like 10 percent of the time out of the game that they're playing. They're not used to just like <laughs> three straight hours of running back and forth on a court. And I yeah. think you'd start to see, I, I think that like the conditioning for that sort of thing is a lot different. Even if you take like the most athletic baseball player, like I think maybe, uh, maybe like Jose Iglesias could hold his own or, uh, or Francisco Lindor, basically any shortstop. But beyond yeah. there, you, uh, starts to get to be slim pickings. I think the baseball players don't have the proper like finesse and like English, the spin on the ball that you need to be able to play tennis at that high level. Like it's just a completely different swing. And so I don't know. I feel like the tennis players would almost exclusively ground out if they made any contact at all. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, so are we, are we assuming that, uh, the tennis players are facing like major league pitching and like the baseball players are re- trying to reserve, like are, are, are trying, are trying to return, yeah, return like a 120 mile per hour serve. I guess. Yeah. I think that's the only way that this hypothetical makes wor- makes sense because if it's a baseball player playing against a baseball player in tennis, it's just going to be bad. Like it's just, there's no one's going to look, no one's going to be able to get it over the net. Yeah, but also, like, are we assuming that anyone's going to, any baseball player is going to be able to return a Djokovic serve? Like, they can barely hit 100 mile per hour fastballs as it is. Yeah, but they have way more surface area. I don't think they could return it in. They could make contact. (laughs) (laughs) Just get get the racket on the ball. Just hold it. It's like the sandlot, right? Just hold the the racket out and just (laughs) close your eyes and pray. It just kills someone in the stands. Good Lord. Okay, uh, that was fun. All right, what's your third one? We should do more hypotheticals on this podcast. Not, none of this matters. <laughs> um, the last one that I've been thinking about is robot umps. Robot umps. I have you. You saw right robot umps in the uh, in the Atlantic League this week. I, I did see the, the. You mean the uh, the baseball lab that yep. is the Atlantic League, where the players have to be lab rats against their will. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I mean. Um, First of all, didn't know they were just going to be using AirPods. That was that was really uh, that was really the whole thing. Is you're just going to give the umpire AirPods, and he's <laughs> going to have a phone in his pocket that's just like telling him what to call. That's like I don't know. I thought it'd be more fun than that. You just yeah. still have a guy out there. He's just being told what to call. Well, that's... he has to be out there for out and safe at home. Yes, I know. Can you imagine being that fucking guy? Like you only have one call per game if you're lucky. I know. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. The rest of the time we're just reading text messages out loud. (laughs) Why are we thinking umpires are just going to be like down with this? Well, here's my thing. Okay, and not to divert not to divert this into a, a a tipping pitches classic rant, but if we can figure out a way to give an umpire AirPods and they text him the call for balls and strikes, why the fuck can't we figure out how to do instant replay faster if we could just text the answer to the umpire within seconds? Alex, why can't we figure that out? I want to know. You know, I wish I had an answer. That's the million dollar question. Right. And I'm sure so many I'm sure million Rob dollar Manfred questions is, on this podcast. Is, is hard at work at figuring that out. Uh, this uh, robot umpires, so boring, so low on my list of priorities. And Manfred likes to be like, oh, like, but like the players want this and mm-hmm. like the fans want this. And I'm like, this is no one's really complaining about this. Complaining about umpires is it's fun for us. It's like a part of the game. It's a pastime. <laughs> You know, it's like a, it's a rite of passage to criticize Angel Hernandez's strike zone. I, yes. Once we lose that, like, what do we have? We're losing a part of ourselves. Are we just going to agree on things? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be me. <laughs> uh, complaining about umpires is like the complaining about subways of, of sports fandom. Like, if you're a New Yorker, you have to complain about the subway. Like, you're not allowed mm-hmm. to live in New York unless you're complaining about how the subway is 15 minutes late and you're sweating. And if you're a baseball fan, you're not truly a baseball fan unless you know Angel Hernandez's name and you can identify when you're about to be in for a long day, apparently. I mean, I don't actually believe any of that. Like, I think it's fine if you don't really care about balls and strikes that much. Uh, you're welcome to watch along and have fun like the rest of us and just enjoy the fun baseball player personalities. But you know, in terms of what people actually like to complain about, I think you're right about that. I, th- I think that's right in that I don't think people actually want this to go away because they need something to validate their desire in life to complain, to complain about things. Yeah. The human umpire, I like that we have to start distinguishing now. In, in this scenario, like the human umpire has an ability to override the robot umpire, which uh, cool, fine, good idea, although kind of partially defeats the purpose of it. But I can't wait. Almost t- entirely <laughs> defeats the purpose of it. I, I can't wait until like his phone freezes and he's just waiting for the call and he's just waiting for the call and they've moved on to the next pitch. And the guy's like, no, hang on. We're still trying to figure out where, uh, where that one was. Fuck guys, my app crashed. Hang on. Ah, it's asking me to update my phone. Shit. You guys, oh God, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> like talk about delays of game. God, I have too much music saved on here. I don't have enough room for OS 12.3.4. Shit. (laughs) Oh, my God. This is going to be too much. Oh, God. And I'm already dreading the implementation of robot umpires. Same. All right, Bobby. Robot umps. Baseball players playing tennis. Parody in the sport. I, we didn't come into this episode intending to solve baseball, but it feels like we we kind of did. Like we really tackled the important issues in this one, and frankly, I'm I'm really gr- glad. How are you feeling about it? I honestly think that they need to carve out some office space for us in Secaucus or in Manhattan or wherever the fuck that MLB headquarters are these days. Just put us in there. We're just ideas, guys. We really are ideas, guys. I mean, in you need the, to be able to hear from the other side in order to fix your problems, Rob. <laughs> I mean, in the span of recording this podcast, that we probably could have fit like 
one replay review in, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Rob, we're available for hire. We are, actually. We, we Our consulting fee is lower than most people's consulting fees because we don't have any money. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you, everyone, for tuning in this week. Uh, send us your ideas for uh, for Robot Umps. If there's any way to uh, to get some baseball players into the game of tennis, I'm sure we're all ears. Uh, hit us up at timmingpitchespod at gmail.com. Our DMs are open on Twitter. And, uh, and rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever yeah. you get your podcasts. Because, you know, we're always looking for new listeners and new fans. And, uh, and if you are a new listener... Pass us on to another new listener. It's like a little game of telephone. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna end up listening to a to a podcast that's not even tipping pitches. Like what? <laughs> Tapping porches? This isn't what I signed up for. <laughs> All right, Bobby, you got anything else to add? I do not. Thanks everyone for listening. We will see you next week. Thanks, y'all. Thank you, everyone, for uh, for tuning in this week. Please, uh, please, what do you even say? Please rate and uh, this, is, this is why you do this every week. <laughs> <laughs>